When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So why Heisenberg? What's in the name? I mean, why not? I mean, it does sound cool, uh, but I can't really think of any uh, cultural reference that comes to mind immediately when I hear it. Like maybe the Hindenburg, which is maybe <laughs> something <laughs> because they're both German German uh, words. But um, yeah, I, why Heisenberg? It's a good question. So Werner Heisenberg, for those who, who don't know, was a German scientist who won the Nobel Prize in 1932 for the creation of quantum mechanics. But he is probably best known for the uncertainty principle, which he published in 1927. So let me preface this by saying that I am not a scientist, nor am I a historian, but I did a little research into Werner Heisenberg to learn a little bit more about him. And the uh, the uncertainty principle states that the more precisely the position of some particles, such as a photon or electron, is determined, the less precisely its momentum can be predicted from initial conditions and vice versa. So in layman's terms, you can either know where a particle is located, its position, or its speed, but you cannot know both at the same time. Yeah, and, that, was, uh, that was the most that I've ever learned about it, which is, is pretty interesting, interesting enough maybe. Yeah. So I think it, it is, it's interesting in terms of like the, the uncertainty of Walt himself and, and yeah. where he is located and where he's going and the uncertainty of, of who he is, that identity, the positionality of whether he is Walt or, or this other character. Um, and uh, there, there are some other parallels though to Heisenberg's life that I thought was really interesting. So I, I, I did a lot of, of a little bit of a deep dive into him and, and learning more about him because I mean, apart from knowing he was this German scientist and his association with the uncertainty principle, I didn't really know much else about him. And uh, of course, he gets referenced a lot in the show. And later in the series, when Hank is talking about Heisenberg and this mystery man that he's chasing, he he refers to him as one of Hitler's guys. So I knew he was a scientist in Germany at the time of, you know, the Third Reich and everything. But I was I was curious about like, a little bit more about that. Like, was he really one of Hitler's guys? Was he himself a Nazi? Uh, things like that. Because I was thinking of like Walt's connection with, with neo-Nazis at the end of the series with Jack and, and his gang. And if yeah. there was any connection there. And um, I think any any connection there might might have been coincidental. But with these writers, I don't know. I think we, we would probably have to ask, ask them about it. But what I was able to find out was after the war broke out in 1939, Heisenberg was drafted into Germany's secret effort to perfect the atomic bomb, um, of which he, he became the scientific head. And uh, there is a lot of debate over whether or not Heisenberg sabotaged Germany or if he was just something of a dunce, because obviously they were unable to make the atomic bomb um, before what happened in Hiroshima, right? And so uh, for for there's it's like an ongoing debate. There's like a lot of people that think that he was actually um, like a saboteur, like he purposely stopped Germany from from advancing. And there are some people that he think, had a you conscience, know, that, basically. 
Maybe, maybe. And when you go a little further back in, into his history, he was, I mean, he was a scientist and he was a, a scientist scientist. So shortly after Hitler rose to power in 1933, he was vocally critical of the regime and he was upset um, about how they were firing like Jewish professors and trying to ban quote unquote Jewish science, such as Einstein's general theory of relativity. And um, he was actually attacked by the the SS. There were there was a, a full on assault trying to undermine him and and uh, to tarnish his his character, I guess. And in 1937, an SS periodical called Heisenberg a quote representative of the Einsteinian spirit and declared him an enemy of the state who harbored at his side an inordinate number of Jews and foreigners. So all representatives of Juda of Judaism and German spiritual life, the article declared, must be eliminated. And then following that there was this grueling investigation into his life. His house was bugged by the Gestapo and all sorts of things like that. Um but uh, interestingly, like like up to like the the seventies, and I should probably say here, like after uh, the war ended, Heisenberg himself was the first to to promote this idea of like moral scruples that he was trying to intentionally sabotage uh, the the Germans, and of course, everyone, all the critics were like, oh, of course, he would say that, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, he doesn't want he, would. he doesn't want to be yeah, he doesn't want to be associated with that. But interestingly, if in, they failed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in the 90s, um, apparently, like uh, transcripts from a recording was was released. The, the recordings themselves were made in 1945 in secret by British intelligence. And this was at a, an estate near Cambridge where they had all these scientists gathered together to interrogate them. And we can hear the conversation between several of these uh, German scientists and they talk about how like they're glad that they didn't discover the bomb because it's Hiroshima had just happened and sort of hint at the fact that they intentionally sabotaged discovering how to do that. So there's a lot of uncertainty to this day about where his allegiances or alliances may have been. And I think it's interesting in context of of Walt's trajectory, right, because there's still uncertainty in like what, what's really making him drive? Who is he really? Is he Walt? Is he Heisenberg? What are his his intentions and motivations? Yeah, um, you'll have people. Yeah, you'll have people fiercely defend either view. Another really interesting thing is that um, apart from like, you know, a, a similar scientific genius or acumen that they both have, Heisenberg was denied his dream. And he was supposed to be promoted to the Institute for Theoretical Physics at the University of Munich, where he was like the handpicked successor to do so, but he was denied um, access to that. So this was like before he you know became one of Hitler's scientists. This was when he was still under a lot of suspicion by the SS and, and things like that. So he's denied his potential and his recognition. And I was thinking, isn't it interesting that the episode right before this one is gray matter, yeah. where we get to see the potential that perhaps Walt feels he himself was denied. <laughs> Heisenberg. Heisenberg. Okay. Have a seat, Heisenberg. I don't imagine I'll be here very long. No? <laughs> All right. Be that way. 
So today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 6, Crazy Handful of Nothing. The episode gets its title from a line in the 1967 film Cool Hand Luke. In this episode, the title is a reference to a line that Marie says in response to Walt's poker bluff. Walt pulls off another crazy bluff with his handful of fulminated mercury in the final scene with Tuco. And another interesting parallel to that film is the origin of nicknames. Cool Hand Luke got the nickname Cool Hand Luke while playing cards. And Crazy 8, we learn in Better Call Saul, got his nickname while playing poker with Lalo. And of course, Walt christens himself Heisenberg in this episode while playing a bluff against Tuco. And while that the most exciting part of this episode is that final scene, a lot of other stuff happens. So, Pete, you want to give us a recap of everything else that does happen in this episode? Yeah, the episode begins with Walt and Jesse bringing their supplies into the trashed RV. Uh, there's the aftermath of the helicopter, and it looks pretty pretty bad whenever they when Walt sees it again for the first time. That gives him the idea that he's going to define the division of labor. Um, he's going to do the chemistry. That's his realm. And the street is Jesse's. The teaser then shows us a flash forward to the ending of the episode where we see a triumphant and also bald Walt walk away from an obvious scene of violence carrying a bag covered in blood. Walt begins his chemotherapy, which makes him physically ill and leads to him losing his hair. A kind janitor named Hugo helps Walt in the bathroom at the high school, and he's there for him kind of every time that happens. While they're out there cooking in the desert, Jesse discovers that Walt does have cancer, and he notices that he has this dot on his chest that he recognized from when his aunt was sick, and that was the way that they target the radiation. Jesse only manages to sell an ounce, and he works hard to do that. Like this is not a small accomplishment from his perspective, but it's not going to work for, for Walt. And he's frustrated and he pushes him to be more imaginative and find a distributor. They need to move more or else he's not going to be able to pay for his treatment. Hank finds out that the mask recovered near crazy eight's car came from Walt's school and he makes an unannounced visit and he finds out that the glassware has been going missing. There, you know, it's not looking good as far as what his inventory has on hand. Jesse finds a connection to Tuco through his friend Skinny Pete and calls him at the same time. So Walt is there with Hank and he's also talking to Jesse about this big deal. And uh, when when Jesse gets there, Tuco steals the meth and beats him unconscious. Hank investigates the janitor, Hugo. He figures it must have been him because he fits his profile. And um, after they recover a blunt from his car, Hugo is arrested. Later, while playing cards at Waltz, Hank tells the family Hugo will be fired and likely serve time in county because he had some previous arrests. And then Walt beats Hank at cards by his big bluff. Walt tries several times to get in touch with Jesse, and finally, Skinny Pete answers his phone to find out that, Walt, you know, what's going on. And Walt visits Jesse in the hospital and wants to know all that he can from Skinny Pete about who tu Tuco is, who this guy Tuco is. And after he puts all that information together, he puts together a plan and he goes to confront Tuco in an explosive final scene. So 
what did you think, Courtney? What are your overall impressions of this episode? So we are we're shown how this character undergoes change at such a pace that it ends in this very violent explosion and really what I think of as the birth of Heisenberg. So it's it was a really thrilling episode to watch it the first time through and I think a more thought-provoking time like to to watch it this time through. Uh in terms of visual cinematography and editing, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in this one and we'll talk about this uh this later, but in terms of um story development and character development, we again see Walt's potential for violence and his mastery at, at this point as a mad scientist with this little tweak of chemistry at the end, right? But it, for me, it, it raises questions about who he really is, where his loyalties lie, where his momentum or trajectory will take him, and the, the various other uncertainties of how those closest to him view him. Uh, this is very much an episode about what can and can't be seen, not unlike you know the, the Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Like You can only look at one thing at a time. What about you? What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to start again by just echoing that what you said there that it's a way more it's a way more interesting episode on a rewatch um the main thing i remember just like what you said was the the fulminated mercury obviously that was a huge surprise and it landed as such the first time through i mean it was it was a series defining oh this is going to be one of those types of shows kind of moment and um it just sort of came out of nowhere and to borrow from Walt Jr was basically badass. I mean it was it was an amazing ending to an episode that I just didn't really I just couldn't have anticipated going into it. Watching it now though, it stands out is the complexity of of who he is and and what it takes for him to get to that place and then to actually pull that off like the the complexity there is what really stands out and there's also this like a subtle almost throwaway line from skinny pete that jumped out at me this time through where he says i don't know what got into him he's talking about tuco he doesn't understand like this guy he knows from prison who's who's obviously a little bit unhinged and 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 scary just if nothing else by his physical presence um i don't know what got into him and and we know that it's Walt's meth, you know, it's this super pure uh, crystal methamphetamine that that he's he's cooking out there in the desert with Jesse. And you know, this this is stood out especially because we know that we know that Tuco's darker tendencies come out. You know that that was underlined in Better Call Saul when he's smoking. Like everyone around him knows that. It, it 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 changes him for the worse and um it makes it very hard to deal with i mean nacho was to the point where he wanted to get rid of him because it was it was untenable and um you know it's it just uh it's it, it's interesting it's a nice little reminder about how walt's decisions affect so much more than what he's able to anticipate and, you know, it's you see at the very beginning the way he tries to establish these rules and bend this bad idea to the way he thinks and the way he sees things. And then the way that that sets up this rapid change and explosion that we see play out. So, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff to talk about here. So I guess that's a good place to start, you know, at the, at the very beginning. Um this whole idea of Walt wanting to be the silent partner and Jesse's sort of uh, pat answer of whatever, man. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I love 
One of the things I mentioned in my impressions that I really loved about this episode was was some of the editing that they did. And we get that that first really great voiceover um, and the way they do the, the transition, that flash forward to the, the final scene. We see them in the RV and this division of labor. This is my realm. This is your realm. No more violence, no more bloodshed, things like that. But then we see at first, you know, rewatching it like we know it's Walt, but they they did it in such a way that you're not really certain of who you're looking at walk away because we see the close up on his feet. He's wearing Converse. Not something you would probably associate with Walt. Yeah, he's you not know? wearing the hush puppies for like the first time. Um, yeah, or know. wallabies or, or whatever they're yeah, called. Yeah. Those those like desert boots he's always wearing. And then um, the the reveal of him with like a bloody nose, this destruction behind him, violence, the blood on the bag that we later learn is Jesse's blood from when he got beaten. Right. So um, it's. It's, uh, th- yeah, I, I love the way that they open it up with that and like, uh, you know, best laid plans, so to speak, right? So Walt, again, mm-hmm. is um, thinking like he has an idea of how this is going to work. Like, and, and it's from his point of view, like he's just going to be able to work all nice and quietly in his lab. My realm is the chemistry. He thinks he can do this without getting his hands dirty. And uh, little does he does he really know. And he should know, right? Like he hasn't learned from his mistakes. He hasn't learned from what happened in 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 the the previous, you know, episodes what with, with Crazy Aid and Emilio and everything. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that 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 really um that I really thought about a lot more when I was watching this time. And, and, and something that I can't really answer, like it comes up with a question that I can't really answer, which I think is, is by design. But, um, one thing, you know, we talked about this idea of no more bloodshed, no more violence. Well, that's a great idea, but you can't, you can't force that to be that way. You know, you're entering something that is inherently violent because it's outside of, you know, it, it exists outside of any societal norms. You know what I mean? It, it's it's illegal, and and the danger it does produce. The, you know, it it has a lot of. There's a lot of danger involved, but it can produce a really high rate of return. And that's why you know, whenever he has this 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 thing where he's talking later, and he says, you know, just you know, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just sell the whole pound? And, and, and Jesse yeah. has, has the idea that, you know, Jesse understands the game, you know, in a way that, that Walt can't. And uh, because he's just never been involved with it. And, and he said, and, you know, he says it with this idea, you know, that this, the reward, that reward isn't worth the risk. You know, I'm, 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 I'm basically going to go to prison if we get caught and, and this little bit of money isn't enough. And, you know, that that really makes you think about that empirical way of thinking that he has. You know, he he he's thinking about it like, well, this is my problem. I need X amount of dollars. And this other thing over here is my solution because it can pr- produce those dollars. And and, you know, so whenever I'm, I'm watching it this time, I'm thinking a lot more about. Shouldn't he know, like, is, is it just that he just thinks about things in this empirical way or is it a situation where he's, he's, it's, there's a lot of willful ignorance going on to where he's just like, no, that doesn't work for what I need to have happen. So I don't want to hear it basically. I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, yeah. I think, uh, we're, we're both pretty much on the same page in, in how Walt sees the world and how he problem solves. And he tries to be rational. He tries to look at things 
the way a scientist would. Uh, but to your point, he should know better. I mean, th- there were a lot of echoes in this conversation, this exchange that you're referencing with Jesse, when he's like, we need a distributor, you know, can't you just go talk to Tuco? And Jesse's like, are you stupid? You know, it's, it's a lot like like the question that he asked him, like, you know, what is his reputation for violence in, um, yeah. uh, you know, in, in one of the earlier episodes? So again, there's this this huge, massive disconnect. And there's a there's a shift between them, I think, that that's uh really interesting where Walt has at least always presented himself to to the audience as the the rational um risk averse person in this outfit but he's not he's the one that's making yeah, he risky drives decisions all of here. the craziest stuff that they do <laughs> <laughs> well certainly in this case right and and Jesse is warning him against it it's too risky so it's it's a inversion of that relationship this is yeah. really Jesse's realm right and walt even says it himself like i'm the chemistry i'm the science guy and jesse's like this is true you may know a lot about chemistry but you don't know jack about slinging dope and uh this is an instance where where um walt really should have listened to jesse but it's in his makeup that he can't that he never will because he's just uh he just sees him the way that he sees him right yeah. I mean, and then, of course, there's he has he does find the end through Skitty Pete, um, who who says he'll vouch for him. And um, I love the way that scene is is set up. You just you know, from like the second that they go up there, I'm talking about Skitty Pete and, and Jesse mm-hmm. when they go up to meet Tuco, how the like the the gate closes behind them. Looks like they're being locked into a prison. You just yeah. know something bad's going to happen. <laughs> you just yeah, know no. something bad is going to happen. <laughs> You're listening to Growth Decay Transformation, and we'll be right back. Let's get cooking. We're back with more Growth Decay Transformation. Yeah, and um, you know, there, it, the, the the whole idea. There's, of course, this show does this all the time. But you, you know, you have his, you have a secret life, and you have his family life, and and he runs into similar issues on both sides of, of that fence. And, you know, you see the way that he's, he's keeping things from, from Skylar and, and, and that hasn't really so far he's been able to stay out ahead of that. But um, it is also kind of really weird that he just, you know, he's just, he's he's out cooking spending a lot of time cooking but he he hasn't really come up with a really great way to explain that to his family who are kind of in a situation where they're 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 paying a lot of attention to what he's doing and how and how he's doing because of this diagnosis yeah and what what you're talking about it raised a lot of questions for me watching this and this is something we spoke a little bit about um off air when we were talking about this this episode and and uh, why like what 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 is motivating Walt and I think one of the things that we first should look at are these relationships and this idea of partnership right and like yeah. who he's loyal to and yeah who because he's Jesse that's one of the from. best things that Jesse said in this episode that one of the most like resonating things was you're you we're partners man you should have told me or however he words it. Yeah, and when you look at how that episode, how those scenes are cut together, so we have the scene of Jess, uh, not Jesse, of of Walt, uh, Skyler, and Junior in like this cancer support group, 
And mm-hmm. they're having this conversation where Skylar is saying how upset she is not knowing where he goes. And uh, the therapist, who interestingly is also a woman, um, says to Walt, you know, maybe it would be easier for your family to accept that you like to be alone if they knew what you got up to. And then, like, yeah. he just starts lying, right? He starts talking about how he goes on these walks and he likes vegetation. Then we get, again, one of those one of those really nice transitions with the voiceovers over it of the shot of, like, the RV out in the desert. And we see some of the cacti and some of that vegetation he was talking about. But with, like, you know, the smoke billowing out of the top of the mm-hmm. RV. And then we cut to that scene toxic, where he's in toxic green yeah. smoke pouring out of there. Yeah, exactly. And then we get that scene where he he's in the RV, he's overheated. You feel the anxiety. We get it's shot from like within his um within his mask. So and then he comes barreling out and that's when Jesse starts fanning him with uh the porn mag. Yeah. <laughs> and uh that's when he sees the dot for the targeted radiation. And um Jesse figures out you know, why didn't you tell me that you have cancer? I'm your partner. And I thought that was really interesting how they spliced those two scenes together and what that means about partnership and what he's hiding from his his partners. And, you know, he's he's pretty forthcoming with with Jesse at this point. But um, I, it made me think as I was thinking about this after we spoke, Pete, I was thinking a lot more about like, well, what what is going on with Walt at the end? Like, what is what is the driving factor? Why does he go and do what he does with Tuco? Obviously, he wants to recover his stolen meth. He wants to get his money. That is something that can't be ignored. And we're, we're told a couple of really important figures in this episode just to keep in mind. So in this conversation with Jesse that I'm talking about um, after he discovers the cancer, Jesse mentions that his aunt only lasted seven months. So now mm-hmm. Walt has something of like a, a comparison timeline maybe in his head I have seven months left to live so that's added pressure of like I have to provide I have to provide and then we get all the different uh, chemo um, sessions we see at least two of them and we know that when he goes to pay the woman uh, the the check that he asked her to wait until Monday yeah. to deposit it costs $1,900 and we know that Jesse is only Gave able to $1,300 yeah procure $1,300 is his share so there's this uh this need to make money and then we see him go again. So it's a, a weekly basis that he has to do this, this chemo. So we, he has that on his mind, of course, right? Like he wants to make the money, but also I don't think we can ignore how he feels about Jesse and this, this perhaps this maybe transference to Jesse. So when, when he, uh, he says, I'm, I'm your partner, you should have told me again, this made me think about how, the relationship between Walt and Jesse is strengthening while the relationship between Walt and Skylar is, is falling apart. And in a way, Walt is is transferring his affection or sense of loyalty from the marriage to this partnership. And I don't mean like romantically or sexually, but it's a transference yeah. of, of emotion or affect from um in, in therapy, right, that's like a normal part of, of psychotherapy, for example. Um, something that happens is when, like, the patient will transfer their emotion from, like, the significant other in their life to their to their therapist. Um, and what happens is that this, this other person, this other party can become a surrogate uh, that the patient needs, right? So Walt can't talk about a lot of this with his wife with his family and Jesse's kind of the only person he can really talk to about what he's doing. Like in a way, Jesse's the only person that really knows him and sees him. Um, and so Jesse becomes this, this somewhat surrogate. And I, I think there's this transfer of his trust, his care or, or the, the locus of this affect to Jesse. And so when he sees Jesse lying there in the hospital bed, it's like, uh, 
you know, it's personal. He's he's triggered by that. And um, I think there's there's a lot of interesting things that happen in, in this relationship in this episode between Walt and Jesse that I wanted to unpack a little bit more with you, Pete. So because um, it's uh, of First, let's acknowledge it's a toxic relationship. It's an abusive mm-hmm. relationship. It's not a healthy relationship by any stretch. No. But there's you, a lot. You of, definitely see the abusiveness here. For yeah. Sure. But there's a lot of interesting things that happen. So in the same scene of them in the desert, when Jesse discovers the cancer, uh, Walt, um, you know, has has confidence in him when he tells him to cook it, and he's you know he's reassuring him. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And of course, we saw in the the previous episode when he was trying to cook with Badger, it didn't work out so well. But there is this mm-hmm. vote of confidence there. So, um, and and Jesse trying to I think prove himself and trying to apply himself uh, is he's able to to do that with Walt. So we, we got to see a little bit of Jesse's dynamic with his family. He's, you know, the outcast, the loser. Um, and and this is a, a, a place for him where he can apply himself, where he could perhaps advance. And and having, I think, Walt's confidence in him is is important and motivating. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, that, that those are all great points. So these were things that I was thinking about after our conversation yesterday, too. The, you know, the, what I initially put down in my notes was that Walt isn't being on the level with anyone. Um, but he, he, it does, it does show us that he gets something from Jesse that he can't get from his family, like you were saying. And, um, that's, that's, a, that's really subtle at, at times. And, and, and it makes it hard to, to understand because of the way that, that Walt is, it, it's, it can be hard to, to see that, um, that, that thing that he gets from him. And, and, you know, it's, it, this is all based on his choices, of course, like he, he chose to do something illegal. So the person he's doing it with, you know, is the person that he can, he can, uh, you know, share with cause he, he can't, he can't talk about it at home. Not yet anyways. And, um, it is pretty fascinating, but then, yeah, you see the other side of the, the coin there of him, you know, of, of Jesse being able to, to possibly get something because I, I really did like the way that they set that up and the way that it ended with Jesse in that scene inside the RV where he he's by himself, uh, you know, he's, he's, we saw him fail in the previous episode, as you pointed out. And he, of course he's worried about that. And, and, and that speaks to the bigger thing that he's worried about is that he's a complete failure and he's never going to go anywhere. And as, as Walt just, I mean, he, he berates him before he, he supports him, you know, like he beats him down and, and he tries to, to uh, motivate him in other ways first. But when it comes down to it, he needs him to cook and he says, you can do it. And, and Jesse does grab that like a lifeline. And um, so, yeah, I thought that was something I never noticed the first time I watched the series, but um, it's really really informative little uh, quiet moment there that he has inside the RV. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I actually tried to find the script 
that they used because I was so curious because I know sometimes the writers will include like internal dialogue sort of thing or or director yeah. notes. Um, I was so curious what they wrote for Aaron Paul for that scene where he goes back into the RV. Like what is going through his head? He's standing there in this darkened RV and it's a it's a deeply contemplative moment before he puts the, the mask on, right? And so mm-hmm. the gravity of what he's just realized that Walt has this advanced stage of cancer and um, this, this responsibility now on his shoulders to produce is, uh, you know, certainly I imagine weighing on, on his mind, but um, yeah, again, thinking of of some of what you were saying in terms of, of their relationship and what Jesse is getting out of it. uh, Walt manipulates him. And I think that's something that he, we see obviously over the course of the series um, in, in um, giving Jesse what he so desperately wants and needs, which is validation, right? This yeah. is a kid that nobody really believes in. Everyone thinks he's a loser, literally yeah. everyone, right? And so, but once people it's start including to see- everyone that watched the first couple episodes of the show. Yeah. And, <laughs> that's and the, when that's other- how, That's the way that you, I mean, that's the read that you get is like, how is this guy ever going to turn into anything? Yeah. And when other people start to see his potential, right, because it does turn out Jesse is, after Walt, the best meth cook around. Mm-hmm. He's better than like other chemists. For example, yeah. he's better than Gail. He's better than the chemists down in Mexico when Gus takes him down there. So yeah. uh, it's it's interesting. And then I think probably the person that, um, I mean, other than, than Walt, who really sees Jesse's value is probably Mike. I mean, apart from like Jesse's own friends, right? Like, of course, mm-hmm. in El Camino, I think of Skinny Pete telling him that he's his his hero, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jesse does have a lot of potential, and and I think we start to see some of his his. I don't want to put it in terms of value, but that he's not as dumb as you really think he is in this episode. Like he's able to recognize what's going on with Walt, um, yeah. with the cancer, and he does have his own kind of intelligence in understanding this world and how it operates and what's risky and, and things like that. And, 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 and real value for, for what Walt's trying to do. And yeah. and I think that that's what makes it um, stand out that it's just Walt not being able to see that, you know, through his own, his own, uh, his own, uh, the way that, you know, just the way that he's kind of written him off in his head as the, the, as the student that didn't apply himself that, you know, didn't uh, have any, didn't show any potential at that time. Yeah. But obviously he sees something in him because why would he he keep him around? Yeah. There's, there's something there, something that, that, that keeps him loyal to him. And um, one of, I think one of the the interesting questions to explore as, as you rewatch the series is what is actually going on there? Um, And I mean, Tuco kind of says it when, when Walt goes in at the end to, to collect his money, Tuco says to him, you must be daddy. So I think there's, there's this this uh some some weird paternal thing going on. I mean, certainly, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Walt thinks of Jesse as family. Of course, I'm also thinking of that scene with um with Jane's dad in uh in the bar when uh, they're yeah. talking about like their scripts, which is like that conversation. You know, what are you going to do? Their family is what motivates Walt to go back to Jesse's or yeah, Jesse and Jane's apartment, and then we see what happens there. But he he does have an affection. For for him, and so that—that's why I was thinking. I guess in terms of like psychologically, what could be going on? Maybe this is a kind of transference that's that's happening. Jesse has become his person, the the person that he can rely on, the person he can trust. Even though he might do stupid things and um, make mistakes, Jesse has proven he's loyal to Walt, and Jesse is 
you know, a, a decent person. I mean, apart from all the horrible things he does, you know, he, he cares about kids. He cares about people, you know, he cares about suffering and, and things like that. So I think Walt is able to, to use that and manipulate that in some, some horrible ways. Yeah, because I, I mean, there's a there's a real balance between the the actual desperation that he's up against um, that that's underlined by the don't cash it till Monday, uh, you know, at the at the clinic. And um, like I said, there there's probably some willful ignor ignorance going on there. And then the other thing that, that popped out to me watching it is that you know there's because you know you it's it's kind of hard to put yourself in Walt's shoes because of the the you know just the the absurdity of 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 the idea of starting to try to put together a meth empire i guess but you know the the, the whole idea of like okay you find out you're dying i mean that's that's pretty universal like you can you can kind of put yourself through that and you know, I, I just can't help but think that there's some there's some level of projection that you see through a lot of these interactions with people because, you know, he's he's looking back and he's and he's seeing his major problem is that he's worried that his family will will not have anything after he's gone, you know, that he really needs to 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 provide for them. So I, I just figure that if you're in that situation, then you're looking back and you're saying, well, you're looking at all these these things that could have broke a little bit differently, or you could have done something differently. You know, you could have, uh, you know, taken that job or, or not not stayed at doing this one thing for a little bit. You know, because I mean, he doesn't have anything. That's the real problem, right? He doesn't have anything to leave behind for them. And um, so, yeah, it, it, you see it come out in a lot of different ways. Like he, you know, he he's telling him to, you know, grow some balls, or he's telling him to. You know, he, he, he knows a lack of motivation when he sees it kind of thing. You know, there's a lot of these kinds of statements and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, you, you, I feel like he's kind of projecting his own, his own sense of like, well, I should have done, I should have done things different. And, that, and that's coming out in, in his different interactions with different people. Well, yeah. So I, I think that's definitely true. It's projection, but it's also um, Walt's. Walt, I mean, at the beginning, we're told, like, he doesn't want to dirty his hands further, right? Like, he just wants yeah. to do the science. He just wants to do the chemistry. He wants to leave all of the grunt work to Jesse. And, of course, we see what happens when Jesse tries to do that. I mean, Jesse's only a small guy. He doesn't really, you know, he doesn't strike as a as an intimidating character that could go toe-to-toe -to -toe no. with someone like Tuco, right? And, of course, Walt is. And to be fair, and, not he, many people do. I mean, yeah. Raymond Cruz is... is, is is frightening looking in this in this role. Yeah, so I mean this this really forces Walt to step up into that position which I think he's been trying not to. He's been trying to hold back from. I think he really intends to not be violent. He doesn't want to do it. It it, it might yeah. seem abhorrent to him, but he's already on that that trajectory. There's already that forward momentum. Again, thinking of like that uncertainty principle, um, you know, and and objects in motion um have to stay in motion and and some of the other ideas we've been talking about like he cannot stop turning into Heisenberg at this point. Like it is it is a, a fate that that is going to, you know, happen to him. And I I think that like you mentioned um like the the thing that he yells at Jesse, uh, grow some balls, and then at the end, 
one of the the interesting things that that I think Tuco says to him, he's like, "I got to hand it to you, you got some balls, right?" So it's, yeah, that's how it's, he uh, actually wins him over is by having balls in his opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is and so um, a lot of that that sort of gendered language comes up again at the when they're playing poker, Walton and Hank, and Hank says, "You're going to man up or puss out," and he flexes his chest. And mm-hmm. I, I love that scene, the way that that Hank is sitting there all puffed out and everything, yeah. and trying to project his. His his masculinity and dominate the room. I mean, that's that's Hank anyway, but certainly yeah. during a poker game. And of course, Walt bests him. Um, uh-huh. And that's something else I really wanted to talk about is what's going on with with Hank in, yeah. in this episode and his uncertainty. So I don't. Do you have any thoughts on on like what what Hank's position is like vis a vis like like Walt or? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, to me, it, it's pretty straightforward. He 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 underestimates him or he overlooks him because he can't, he just doesn't even think that he could lie. He just, he kind of put him in that category of people who are, are just not capable of, you know, doing the kinds of things that he sees himself as being really good at, you know, of, of like taking charge and, and, uh, you know, like he, like he said, like the way he puffs himself up when he wants to win this, uh, hand and, and poker, uh, he just doesn't he he can look he looks past Walt and and what's great about it is, is it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like um, it, it could be it could be kind of contrived that he's 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 a DEA agent who's obsessed with looking into this this stuff. And it turns out that the guy who's right next to him is the one who's doing it. And he, and he doesn't, he never is able to figure that out, but it, it all makes sense based on, on everything that, that we've seen before that. Um, he just sees Walt as someone who, who isn't capable of doing those kinds of things. Yeah. So I, I think if I, if I had to characterize this episode again, it's kind of like what can be seen and what can't be seen. And um, so I already mentioned how like Walt doesn't want to see the customers and he wants to, he wants to separate himself from, from that aspect, but he can't. And I think with Hank, um, there's a, that he can't see, he can't see Walt, of course. And he's blinded by his own prejudices, his own ideas of how, like, how, how convinced he is of his of his own rightness, I guess you could say. Um, and there mm. are a couple there are a couple of examples that we've already seen with this, starting with the pilot. So when he and Gomi and Walt is in the ride along with him, and they pull up to the meth house where Emilio gets busted, and Jesse's next door with the later uh, the neighbor lady. Um, remember, they're talking. Hank and Gomi are talking about the car cap and crunch, and they make this bet on whether the car belongs to a white guy or um, someone of a Mexican descent, right? And uh, Hank is so convinced that it's going to belong to someone of Mexican descent. And, of course, it's Jesse's car. But and, uh, and they don't I, know and that. I have to say that I have to interject to say that I agree with with Gomi there. I mean, it definitely sounds more like a, a white boy nickname to yeah. me. Dopey. <laughs> yeah. A dopey one at that, he says. Yeah. So, like, he, he mischaracterizes, uh, you know, that situation. And he obviously misreads Walt's. But there were a couple of other, I think, really interesting things worth looking at in, in this episode in terms of um, of, of Hank's worldview and perspective. Uh, last week when we had uh, Jim on, he mentioned that Hank is like a, an overt racist. And uh, he has his ideas about um, crime and who's guilty and, and what criminals look like. And that really, yeah, we, really the, blinds him. We definitely him. see that. Yeah, we definitely see that with the, the profiling of, of Hugo 
here. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, after they pick up uh, Hugo and he's explaining to Junior when he asked why he arrested him, that he fit the profile. And then he talks about how, like, they found all this uh, marijuana in his house and in his car and, and stuff like that. And that he fits the profile. But you know what's really interesting about that, Pete, that I, I didn't think about until today? I was, I, was, I was thinking a little bit more about this. Mm-hmm. He fits the profile, right? Because he's a pothead. But Hank also knows or at least thinks that Walt is partaking in the marijuana, but he doesn't he still doesn't put it together. So he's like, you know, it's kind of fun and exciting that that Walt is for that reason. Yeah, he laughs like when he when when Skylar tells Hank and Marie, this is after in a previous episode after um, Junior got busted trying to buy beer and Hank brings him home. And that's when Skylar tells them that it was Hank, uh, not Hank, that was Walt she was talking about in terms of, of smoking the pot. Hank's mm-hmm. reaction is to laugh. Like, he doesn't take it as, like, a serious thing at all, right? But he's all too willing to profile Hugo as, like, you know, a criminal because of he, how he smokes pot. But he's so blind to what's right in front of him. And, of course, that's one of the the, fu- yeah, the more like, frustrating things watching this series is how, like, how how Hank is unable to see what's what's right in front of him. He cannot see it. And he there's some great lines in it, right? So, like, in the the lab when he first shows up, at the school and he's like don't under- underestimate your kids right and he should be taking his own advice because he's yeah. he's thinking maybe the kids stole the glassware and then um he tells uh walt in this uh poker game when walt tries to defend hugo he says he doesn't really strike me as like a thief and and he says no offense but you wouldn't know a criminal if he was close enough to check you for a hernia <laughs> right and then yeah. that's when walt pulls off this this um this bluff on him and uh i mean it's it's a a poetic way of saying like hank you're not as smart as as you think you are you have you don't have everything quite figured out here yeah and i think it's um i think it's important that they did show how give this character hank some of these like perhaps like um i guess uh a penchant for for profiling people for stereotyping them because it it adds credence to like why can't he see his own brother-in-law in this way. And um, th- that's something else I think that's worth talking about is is uh, how the family perceives Walt and how we are shown him in this episode because we're shown this guy who is starting chemo. He's very sick, right? Like it's making him physically ill. Yeah, that uh, orange pee hair- is, a, is, a, is a real, um, just it's a real subtle little shot there to just, it just wraps up how that, is just a, a nasty experience. You know, yeah, that that's nineteen hundred dollars coming out, right? Yeah, yeah. So we see him vomiting. Um, we see like the thirty or so pill bottles he's got on his bathroom counter, choking yeah. down pills. The hair loss that leads him to eventually shave the head, and the reaction. Um, I wanted to talk really quickly about the reaction shots of of Skyler and Walter Jr. because um, I, I love the different responses to this bald head to this. Yeah. Heisenberg, um, hers is one of of horror, right, uh, and and shock, and then Junior's response is badass, Dad, right? Like he thinks he looks he looks cool. So we were told by I mean, Doctor Sky- Do- Skyler's, I think, is a little bit of like it, it, she's shocked, but she also feels bad for him because she knows that that is you know nobody wants to do that. Is that do you think that's true or like she's sympathetic? Well, yeah, I not- think it's a 
it's a visible sign of illness, right? And yeah. remember what they w- had been told by the the doctor, by Dr. Del Cavoli, about all the side effects they could expect. Hair loss, you know, nausea, things like that. And I mean, the, of the list of possible side effects, some of them were really bad. So perhaps in Skylar's mind, she's thinking like, oh, here we go. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start getting worse for him. He's going to start getting sick, or at least it's the visual cue that he yeah. is sick. And, and she um, says that she says that later during the the card game he's now he's really getting on to the to the heavy stuff or whatever the doctor said you know like the more powerful medications Exactly so there's this expectation of him being ill and we see him being physically ill but as a, he's not lying on the couch as he predicted he would be in that talking pillow scene too sick to move too nauseated to turn his head and if anything it's having like the the opposite effect on him he is turned into this like violent criminal right yeah. um virile and and aggressive and proactive so quite the opposite of of what we were expecting him to be yeah and junior you know he thinks it's badass he sees his father in this uh in this new way you know seeing him go through with the treatment taking care of things and um I don't know. I mean, the the bald because of the haircut that he had before. I mean, the baldness is kind of an improvement in the character in a way. He definitely looks more intimidating. Yeah, he does. He does. And there is something about a bald head on a guy. So, I mean, it's cool that he commits to shaving the whole head as a part you know, as opposed yeah. to to leaving the, the bald spots, of course, where it looks like you know, obviously there there might be something wrong. He's sick, but this is intentional. Yeah. He's taking control of his appearance in in this uh-huh. way, and he does. He looks intimidating. One thing we, I just wanted to just it just popped back in my mind. One thing that I wanted to to interject here about Hank's Hank's time at the at the school, and what um, before we get too far away from that was that. He finds out that Crazy Eight was a snitch at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes into, sort of just goes into the back of your mind there. Uh, what do you think, how do you think that that is informing what he's doing? Like, because it, to me, it, it could be a, a situation where he says, okay, we'll see. Yeah, we killed the guy, which is brought up a couple of times in their conversation with Jesse, the the fact that, that, they eliminated these people yeah. that may have been helpful to them, you know, distributing their product. Um, but, you know, he, 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 it, to me, I thought maybe this is a situation where he could say like, okay, well, he was a snitch. Um, he, he made his bed. He, he, he has to lie in it kind of thing, or, you know, this would have, this would have, you know, obviously if he, we would have been caught if, if we didn't kill him. So this was actually a good thing that, that we found out, you know, that we, we took him out because otherwise this plan would not work. Like, where do you think he is on that, that scale? So again, what the, the senior referencing is one of those other, um, those, those great reaction shots. I think there's a lot of really great reaction shots in this episode. Yeah. So I mentioned yeah, Skylar's really and, and juniors, and there's a couple from Walt um, in this scene with, with Hank, and that's one of them. So yeah, the, the realization that Crazy Eight had been this, this snitch, I think um, for Walt, if, if he is, if he does have any sense of guilt over what happens or, or any, uh, you know, hangups on it, this absolves him from it. 
right? Because this guy was a snitch. Yeah. He would have ratted them out. He would have gotten busted. So, you know, it was uh, it, it worked out the way it's it was supposed to otherwise. thing that happened, you know. It's yeah. one of those things that you wish it could have could have went differently. But, you know, in the end, it was yeah. all for the good. Exactly. So I, I think this is, again, one of those things that, that Walt is able to to rationalize and distance himself from any culpability or responsibility. And that might be one of the other reasons why he goes forward with meeting Tuco in the end, because at the beginning of the episode, no more violence, no more bloodshed. Um, and and as I said, I, I believe that, that he really wants it to be that way. But this might help clear his conscience a, a little bit in terms of like, well, that was something else. That guy was a snitch and, you know, he was a, a threat to my family, a threat to our, our well-being, et, et cetera, and had to uh -huh. go. So, yeah, it's it's hard to know. It's hard to read Walt and, and really like how he feels about about any of that. Um, certainly from this point going forward, how he really feels about what he does and does he take yeah, but any sense of responsibility for it? But I, I think that that's a, a great a great point there about the way that they, there's so many of those reaction shots, and that was a little bit of what I was talking about with Jesse alone, also, and you know, just the way that so much of that comes from just watching how they react to situations or to other things that people say, and the actors all do such a great job of of giving us something to work with and, and, and sort of put those things together ourselves of how we, how we want to interpret it. Yeah. And in that same scene towards, towards the end, this uh, conversation between Walt and Hank in the school, when, uh, when Hank says to him, you don't want people to start wondering about, you know, do you? And Walt's face is like, he doesn't know how to, <laughs> he doesn't yeah, know how to react initially. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the better ones because you can kind of see him going through like, I'm not sure, you know, like, because later in the series, he, he'll kind of do this. He'll kind of cross the line and, and push back a little bit because it's like, wait a minute, you know, like you can, I know this is good for me that you don't, that you underestimate me, but at the same time, like, I can't really listen to you, uh, you know, not give me the credit I'm due. And, yeah, and like, here, here he doesn't he doesn't cross the line, but you can see, you get the sense that it, that he feels that it's like yeah yeah buddy you know you might not want to under, underestimate me uh, you know I, yeah. I'm a little bit there's a little bit more going on here than you're uh, seeing at the moment exactly and I the way that Hank laughs right I mean it's it's uh, it's been well established how Hank sees Walt as this like yeah. weak. You know, he thinks of him as this, I mean, for want of a better word, he thinks of him as a pussy, right? Yeah. And that's how he treats him um, in the pilot. Like uh, one of the, the the better lines that he uses to describe him is uh, Keith Richards with a warm glass of milk, right? Trying to hold yeah. the gun, the Glock. And um, um. the laugh there, it's, it's so condescending. And you can tell it's starting to, it will start to irk uh, Walt and um, when you were just talking about that that scene, Pete, I was thinking ahead to when um, when he's helping him pack his car after Skylar wants him to move out, and he picks up that bag Hank does to put it in the trunk, and he's like, "Jesus, what do you have in here?" And Walt says, very matter of factly, half a mil. And then yeah. Hank just laughs, right? He's telling the uh, truth, so he he starts playing yeah. with him. It's it's very much a cat and mouse game, and he starts toying with him. Um, at, yeah, at and it, it is all born out of his out of his ego, though. That's why it's really perfect, is because, like you said, the, the way that Hank is designed is to 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 overlook other people in that way, but also like 
not realize how like to be condescending about it at the same time like to to be you know like he doesn't he doesn't realize like how insulting some of the stuff he says is he thinks it's just normal like that he's he's the one that's you know he's he's the alpha or whatever you know use that terminology he's the he's the top dog so of course you know he can just he can just sort of joke about that and uh it's not going to bother anybody at all yeah and i love that that you know he beats him with a bluff in this uh this poker game and it, it really, I think this scene sets up so much of what happens between these two where Walt has the upper hand and he knows he can fool him. And but but Hank still doesn't get it. He doesn't see how he's able to fool him. So there's it's also really interesting that this is the, the cover story that they'll use this idea of being like a gambling addict to explain where he got his money from. Because uh-huh. like it's it's already from this moment sort of established that that this might be like a, a talent that Walt has. Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty smart on on Skyler's part, I think, to to use this as as the cover story later on. But um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to see how much Waltz I think actually gets off on besting Hank and that private satisfaction he has, uh, you know, lording that 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 over him. And um, yeah, but you know, it, it all goes awry. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget your pants. We'll be right back after this short break. Fire up the RV. We're back with more growth, decay, and transformation. Bummer about Hugo. Um, we we kind of touched on that. Just the injustice of the profiling and the, the general, like you know, he's he he says about you know, oh, he had this fat blunt in his car. It's like okay, um, and he deserves to lose his his job and and be locked up. But like when you know your brother-in-law is talking about smoking weed, then it's just funny, you know. Like that's that's. I wouldn't say it's overt, but it's a it's an it's at least uh, it's at least something that you can't you can't you know it it it's there, right? It is. It is. And just a, a little uh, trivia on this: um, the actor that plays Hugo is uh, named uh, Pierre Barrera, and he w- actually worked on episode one on the pilot with the the art department i think he's like a set dresser or set decorator mm-hmm. and uh vince apparently liked his uh his look so much that they when they needed the janitor they asked if if he would be willing to do it and um but but uh yeah well, the, the the i think it's it's he's collateral damage and yeah. they go through the the trouble of showing us how like this is a decent human being who's working this job as a janitor at a high school, you know, doing mm-hmm. what he has to do to um to make a living. And you see his kindness, right? That he's willing to to help this this man in the bathroom and stuff like that. And of course he's the one that ends up getting the the shit under the stick, so to speak. And mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was a really interesting choice that they showed Hugo hoisting the American flag in front of the school in the scene where he gets arrested. And I was I was wondering what your thoughts on that scene were in particular, like why in front of the school, why the American flag is like the shot that it opens on. So there's the obvious thing here. I mean, he this isn't this is a native uh, actor and um, he's he's raising the American flag. And then you have the government, you know, the, the, the arm of the DEA, the, uh, drug enforcement agency, uh, a government institution coming here and arresting him 
So there's, I mean, um, there's, there's definitely some, some things you could pull up here about the, the, the way that, uh, you know, the people who were here before America sort of got treated in that, in that process. Uh, what, what do you think about it? Well, I think it's something that that they do throughout the series. So yes, that's that's obvious. I mean, it had to be a very deliberate choice that he's hoisting the American flag. You have that symbol and what the flag represents. And then you have this, as you say, the government coming in, the Drug Enforcement Agency uh, rolling up and they arrest this guy in front of the school um, to everyone's shock and horror. And like the number of police that showed up to to take this guy down. uh, Yeah. And but um, thinking in, in terms of, of uh, what happens later with uh, with Walt at the laundry, when he asks um, some of the, the women that work at the laundry, if they'll help him clean oh, and yeah. gets them in trouble. So uh, we see that happen like there, there are a lot of innocent parties throughout this series and also in, in Better Call Saul that that always seem to get screwed over. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah, which is inherently kind of in the system, and and you mentioned the word, um, you know, you mentioned the term collateral damage, and I thought that that was something, you know, Jesse takes a pretty severe beating here, and um, it it almost feels like it, it's it, it's a part of the the job description, which is is you know kind of kind of terrifying in a way. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, you see these two people that are in his orbit and are helping him achieve the things that he needs to achieve. And, and they're the ones who actually take the real, uh, take the real losses, I guess you could say in this, in the process of this episode. The the thing that's the jump that stood out to me about the whole Jesse situation this time through was that, I wasn't sure exactly whether it's, you know, what we're, it's supposed to be that it's uh, Walt's feeling guilty or if he feels any sense of responsibility about what's going on with what happened, you know, with Jesse being, you know, in the hospital. What was your take on that? Well, I see that 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 was what I was I was sort of thinking about when I was thinking about like what what motivates him to go and talk to Tuco. And I talked a little bit about like that transference, I think that might be happening with um, Mm. with the partnership. But I think he does see what happened to Jesse at his like at his behest. I mean, he put Jesse on this this job and it's something that he'll continue to do and then, you know, regret later. So, again, thinking again down the line where he puts Jesse on the job of going to get his money back from Spooge and the consequences of that. Right. So um, and then he changes his mind with that, too. He tries to call him and call it off. So it's. Both with Walt and and how he feels about Jesse, it's such a complicated, a complicated yeah. thing. I think he thinks of Jesse as like as a possession. Jesse is is his tool. Yeah, um, it's really and- it's really razor thin that line that there is because I I think just to 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 just weigh in a little bit. I I, I think he does feel some some guilt, some responsibility. But it's only one of many things that 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 he feels Motivates. in. Re- yeah, it's it's just it's just it's just a it's part of a spectrum of things that are motivating him because I mean when I watched it I thought well it, 
it's not none of it. You know, like I kept wanting to put it on one side or the other and say, no, this is only about the money. I mean, they're showing us that it's underlying the money is underlying everything because he has to come up with that cash by Monday. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's lying to Skyler. He, he, he's telling her that he's getting the money from Elliot. He has to make sure that doesn't fall apart. So that's his, his main motivator. But also, you know, you see that he does have some, some sense of, of, who uh, of seeing at least Jesse as a human being and not wanting bad things to happen to him. Yeah. So two points I want to make, I think he sees Jesse also as a possession, as I was saying, and I was just reminded of um, a line that Hank says to him again, when he's um, telling him like, don't underestimate your students, these little piss ants or whatever, you got to watch over your turf. Right. And it's almost like Mm -hmm. that piece of advice is something that, that Walt really took to, to heart. Jesse is part of his turf. And and to just remind ourselves of where Walt's head is at this particular moment, um, what has happened in his life is uh, the whole thing with with Elliot and Gretchen. So he's he turned down their offer for money. He's decided to go back into cooking meth to make that money. And the the loss of gray matter, whatever his feelings are about that, he sold his share for five thousand dollars. He didn't fight for it. He walked away from it. He's not going to let that happen again. He knows that he has a good product here. He knows that it has potential and there's no way that anyone's going to take that away from him. So I think he's also motivated by by that sense of, of ownership and finally being good at something and being having having dominance over something. So I think that's yeah. also, you know, if you want to call that ego, if you want to call that pride, whatever you want to call it, that's one of the other major driving factors here. So it's it's also the money, as you said, he needs to come up with that money by Monday. And uh, he's already like, you know, he still has six hundred dollars that he needs to make up for that um, for from the previous check. Right. So there's there's this huge uh, pre- amount of pressure on him to to perform, to get the money. But also it's I think it's 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 not just one or one thing or the other. It's all of these things acting together to to put this pressure on him. Yeah, which is really a great way to craft a character, isn't it? It is. It is. And it and it all leads to uh the introduction of Heisenberg. So Yes um, it does. This is something that like I said, when I watched it the first time, I mean it was just like I did not there's no way you could see it coming. I, I wouldn't believe anyone who said that they did see this coming in advance. I mean, just wow. It's just like, I mean, it's not, it, it, it loses, it, it sort of loses some of its steam over knowing what comes after it and, and everything else. But I mean, in the, in the initial introduction, um, this was just sort of, like I said, you just there, like, I had no idea the show was going to go in this, these kinds of directions. I mean, all we, we've had, you know, we've had murder. We've had um, you know a lot of of heavy stuff happen. We had people falling through the floor because of uh, they're being um, you know dissolved in acid and everything else. But like this was this explosion, the whole thing, uh, just an ex- an exclamation point I didn't see coming. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's a really nice sort of a bookend effect, right? So we, we begin with Walt saying, chemistry is my realm. And again, yeah. it's that division of labor that he's trying so hard to to organize. But then, of course, we see that he has to uh, take over that after Jesse is you know laid out and in the hospital. But the chemistry is still his realm. He finds a way to use his expertise, his science. He becomes the mad scientist here, right? Yeah. Uh, a little he, he tweak finds of, a way of to, chemistry. To, to, yeah, he finds a way to um, use the science for for the violence and just make them the same thing. Exactly. So he's he's a little bit out of his his depth in in dealing with this world, right? And we see that in that conversation with Jesse, just how ignorant and naive he is. But he's able to use the skill set that he has. I mean, he is a a scientific genius, and he's able to use that in new and creative ways, right? And again, thinking a little bit about the real Heisenberg, thinking about Werner Heisenberg and um and and not just him in particular, but but all of the scientists involved in like discovering like how to split the atom that led to the eventual atomic bomb and and uh the responsibility and culpability that scientists have with science. Um there's again there's kind of like two different camps of thought here that you have to you have to be conscious of how the technologies and the science that you use can be used not just for good, but for ill. And that is a, a responsibility that, that that you have to to consider. I think we see that today in things like with, with like uh, tech, like AI and technologies like that. We tend to think of like how it will be used only for good and for the positive and how it can improve lives and, and society. But there's always that other side of how these things could be used for nefarious purposes. So yeah. I think this... Um, this this look at what what he's able to do with science, of course, making meth is is a bad thing, right? That's a horrible thing. So, for in his point of view, he's just playing in the lab. But um, one of the things that we get to see in, in that montage when Jesse is is slinging the dope, how it affects people, right? Like these, you see, like all these people on Skid Row, um, a wide variety of people. It's not just like you know people that you would expect to be meth heads. You see people in business suits. You see like a woman in a laundry doing her her dirty clothes or whatever. Um, but we get to see like how it actually affects people. And that's something that Walt very consciously tries to divorce himself from. And I think when he says yeah. he doesn't want to see the customers, he doesn't want the responsibility for what this, the science will lead to, for what the product actually does to people. So it's all good and well just to, yeah, again, play with his little like chemistry set in his lab without thinking yeah. about the consequences of what that actually looks like, what that actually does to people, how it destroys lives. And it really is. I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely devastating. Like, um, I, mean, I grew up on the, in the mid Atlantic, I guess. So it wasn't big there, but traveling out West when, you know, and, and seeing some of the ways that like, like seeing tweakers for the first time and stuff like that and just seeing how how devastated some communities were as a result of this. I mean, sometimes I think the show, it, it, it touches on that in ways. Uh, other times it kind of uses the the junkies or the, you know, the, the, the tweakers as uh, comedy, which is a little bit borderline tasteless at times i think but i mean that is an underlying thing and i i do think that um there's a there's a there's a real effort on on walt's part to to not really appreciate that or understand that but to try to separate himself from it as much as he can yeah i think again that that's that sort of compartmentalization where he uh 
he can't he can't think of himself as as the monster. He cannot reconcile his his own self uh, concept with with what he becomes and what yeah, he has and, to and, do. And you were talking about the responsibility of scientists and everything else, and that that made me think of the Oppenheimer quote after yeah they they split the atom of the now I, now I am become death the destroyer of worlds. So um, exactly. While you were talking about describing like um like uh, the effect that drugs have on people and and um what what meth looks like one of the things that uh that Vince Gilligan has been quoted saying is that one of his biggest regrets is that they didn't give Jesse bad teeth right and if he could change one thing about breaking bad they would have made Jesse's teeth look more gnarly to i guess be truer to like what what a someone struggling with meth addiction might look like and um there, there's some other, I think, interesting little like uh, behind the scenes things that we learned about about this episode and, and our research uh, for this one in particular. So just uh, quickly, a few things that I thought was was uh, interesting. I learned this from watching the commentary on the episode uh, that they, they did for the DVDs. So the the office where they shot um, Tuco's uh, where Tuco's offices, that is actually the old Albuquerque FBI field office. It was their field office, I think. Uh, Vince said from like the 1940s to 1980s, and it was a uh, an abandoned building, and um, a couple of other things. Oh. Uh, the uh, the scene with um, Walt in the bathroom uh, puking. So that was actually cut from a previous episode that they ended up not using, and uh, the um, the the director of of this episode had shot a scene with this is the second time that he gets sick in the bathroom at school where they had him vomit directly into the camera but in post-production they thought it was too gross and they're yeah. like this is too much we have to cut it so they didn't have any footage they didn't like they had already um the director had moved on to, to, to go do something else so they they didn't have her to, to reshoot it but they did have this scene that they cut from a previous episode and it was um when walt gets a phone call from the the oncologist dr del cavoli mm-hmm. and he's telling him about some of the what he can expect in terms of side effects and the horrible side effects that that he should start seeing following chemo. Walt hung up and he goes into the bathroom and he masturbates, right? And they cut that. I'm glad they did, right? And in the, the commentary, Vince was joking that he should get credit for, you know, at least deciding to, to cut it. But they took that clip of him standing in the bathroom from what was that masturbation scene and use that for the vomit scene um the more you know right and yeah well uh, you know it's funny because one of the things when i read the original pilot script that they cut out was that he masturbates in the he he masturbates in that too it's like around the same time whenever he's he's doing the stair climber and then he goes in the bathroom and rubs one out and then he sees himself in the mirror and he just feels kind of pathetic, you know, like the way that he looks and everything. Um, so I guess Vince wanted to get one of those in there somewhere and he just just wasn't able to because, as we've seen in the first season, there are no no masturbation scenes at all. No, and I'm glad there aren't. There's some really uncomfortable sex scenes. There's a sex scene coming up in the next episode, a no rough, tough uh uh, stuff type of deal that's when they get in the back of the Aztec after the school meeting I don't know if you remember yeah. that one um, but there's some other very uncomfortable sex scenes I'm, I'm glad they they cut those 
Um, but uh, uh, we've talked a little just uh, before we move on. Just one other thing I wanted to, to throw out there. We've talked a little bit about some of the connections to Better Call Saul and uh, Crazy Eight. And I thought you made a really great observation when you were giving your your impressions, Pete, about um, how that uh relates also back to that but um something else that that occurred to me watching it this time was when jesse comes back after selling the dope that he managed to sell and he throws walt the prepaid phone um i don't know what what your first thoughts were when you saw that but mine were of cc mobile yeah i mean for me i was just thinking that's smart you know you need to have a burner <laughs> but um that may have been informed after the fact by the uh by the better call saul burner uh phone plot line of course plot, i mean I and of course breaking bad came out before better call saul did this yeah. episode was written before i think they they even invented saul saul doesn't come out yeah, until yeah. Uh, season two um and better yeah. call yeah better call saul is when we're, we're introduced to him but i think when they were writing better call saul they they definitely went back to this episode and it informed much of how they wrote season six so certainly tying the two stories together um uh, in better call saul when they introduce hank into that series it's by bringing him into question uh crazy eight who we learn is is the informant of course but um what we don't know at this point in breaking bad is that uh what what role lalo had in setting him up as an informant so crazy yeah. eight was really somewhat of a, of a double agent that's how they brought Jimmy in right, so that that's how Lalo the Salamancas got Jimmy involved in it into that that story. So there's some interesting connections, I think, strings there. And when yeah. I see the um, when I saw the burner phone here, it's uh, at least in Better Call Saul, the way that they they set that up is like it's his like a novel idea. Like he gets the idea because some guy says you never know who's listening, and then he's like that's how he decides to sell the phones and get people to come into uh, the store and buy the phones. Um, if you haven't seen Better Call Saul, sorry, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, there's a point where where Jimmy, better known as Saul Goodman, I I don't know about you, but I can't think of him as anything but Jimmy. Even like now, it'll be interesting when when we get to him in in this series. How how our feelings about him change? Yeah, I don't I don't think that he'll go to Jimmy in this series, but it it will be interesting because the, I, I had that experience covering the show. That by the end, I very rarely called him Saul, and if I did, it was very it was like something I had to to prompt myself to do. Um, even though there was that was the big question of when he was going to to you know kind of embody that name more. Um, he he did actually become Jimmy through that series. Yeah. And so seeing that burner phone here, I, I had this like little scenario play out in my head where like, where did, where did Jesse learn this trick from? I mean, is this like common knowledge among like, you know, criminals or whatever? Maybe this is something he picked up from crazy eight who picked it up from, from Jimmy, right. From Saul. So I don't know. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it was funny to watch it. And then that's immediately what I thought of. I was thinking of the, of the CC mobile store. So it's again, the not stress something ball bouncing the stress ball against the window. Yeah, exactly. So ideas. <laughs> yeah. So, so watching this episode, I've, I very much had Saul in my head. Better call Saul. Yeah. I, like I said, I was definitely thinking about that plot line of, uh, you know, the, the um, Tuco stuff, because uh, that when we like one of the things that I really liked about the, the way they introduced Tuco here was the way that he has that giant knife in his hand and he's just like doing everything like the it's like a it's like a um 
his tool for every everything that he he has to do you know it's like an all-purpose tool i guess it's this mm-hmm. giant threatening looking knife and um you know he, he like i said he's physically imposing the way that he's portrayed is scary you know like um raymond cruz does a great job of uh of of really laying it on pretty heavy but still kind of being like someone you can imagine like exists in the real world you know what i mean like he's he's uh, he's obviously like over the top but there are people who are over the top in the in the world that you encounter from time to time and you just kind of hope that you never have to right um yeah yeah so i thought that that was uh you know that 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 was a nice little connection to to the to to better call Saul, how Nacho was trying to get away from him because whenever he smokes, he's he you can't deal with him. Yeah, yeah, and uh, gloves off is is one of my favorite episodes in Saul, and we get to see his little boxing glove uh, necklace um, in that as well when he's uh, boxing with with Mike. So that's something else I'm really yeah. excited to talk about when we when we get to Mike and his introduction and specifically his relationship with Jesse and how that's informed by Mike's relationship with Nacho and what we learn about his own son Maddie in in Saul. So. I'm I'm looking forward to to revisiting a lot of this stuff in, with the context of Saul, um, you know, when, once we get to it, for sure. Does it take away from the scene at all that you know now that it it it, it wouldn't it's not possible at all like to to do what Walt did the fulminated mercury like you can't make it look like crystal meth. I mean, according to MythBusters, anyways, um, you can't really make it look like that. You can't really make it enough of it to explode like that it i I kind of find myself thinking no i don't care it's it's still a great scene yeah no i i mean everything that you watch that requires a certain amount of a suspension of disbelief so i'm sure that there are some chemists out there watching this or people that that know that what fulminated mercury looks like that would be upset in the same way that like any film or tv show like tries to uh you know, like like you, you sometimes hear lawyers talk about like legal shows and stuff like that, and how like no, that's not how it works. But the average person has no clue, right? You're like, okay, yeah, that's believable. Um, so no, it didn't take anything away from me knowing that that wasn't any more possible than the hydrofluoric acid dissolving a body in a bathtub. Um, I'm I'm happy to go along with the the show, and it's probably a good thing that these things don't really work because otherwise there are crazy people out there who might actually try to do this sort of stuff, like dissolve yeah. bodies and bathtubs and blow things up with fulminated mercury. So it's probably oh, yeah. a dudes, good thing. Dude, <laughs> dudes would definitely be throwing this. <laughs> dudes yeah. would definitely be throwing this fulminated mercury around. I mean, it, it's so effective. You, you want to make a point? Just cook yourself up a little bit of that that fulminated mercury and toss it on the ground next time you have a meeting with someone you know it's definitely yeah it would definitely be copied you're listening to growth decay transformation we'll be right back let's get cooking we're back with more growth decay transformation yeah, and I know that's something else that they talked about when they, they show them making meth that they had like real chemists consulting. So they actually learned the real process of doing it, but they showed steps out of order. They changed some things because they didn't want to instruct people how to actually do this, right? So you can't learn how to actually make meth by watching the show. So, yeah, yeah as far as like whether the science is, is accurate or not, I think... You know, you, you you allow them some some leniency with the the creativity that they they take. It's a great dramatic scene. 
Yeah, and and the idea of a little tweak of chemistry works so well for for everything they set up in the first first few episodes that lead into this one. Definitely. And I think you know there we should probably move into the final phase of this here. Uh, I I don't have anything else. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on? No, I think we're we're good. All right then. So. Why don't you tell me what your favorite line was in this episode? Okay, so I think that there was uh, there's some overlap between us on this episode in terms of, of both yeah. favorite line and, and favorite shot. So I had two that that stood out to me, um, and one we've already talked a little bit at, at length. I like the "I'm your partner, you should have told me" um, line because I, I think that that is a, a great line that that tells us a lot about the relationship between Jesse Walt and also. Walton, his his loyalties to his own family, right? And who is his partner? Who is he loyal to? Is it Skylar? Is it Jesse? Is it both? Who knows? But um, if I had to to say just one, I would say um, probably the faster they undergo change, the more violent the explosion. And that comes from a line in his chemistry lecture when he's talking about um, chemical reactions, rapid chemical reactions. And of course, he he delivers that before we see him get physically ill for the first time after getting chemo. So we know that that's a reference both to uh, what's happening internally in his body as a result of the medication he's taking, but also, um, you know, it hints to the the ending scene with the fulminated mercury in, in Tuco's office. But even more so, I think it applies to Walt himself. We've watched this character undergo this this rapid change from uh, the guy we saw in the pilot to who he is, you know, in episode six, and uh, how how quickly actually what a quick a quick clip that happens at um, it's going to result in in a violent explosion. And I think that's what we see. What about you? What was what was your favorite line of this one? Yeah, I mean, I I also like that I'm your partner. You should have told me for the same reasons that that you said. Um, it really is a nice little encapsulation of the way that they and they interact with each other. Um, but I I like the I like the one that that comes a little bit later, and and it's kind of it's kind of funny, but it's also. Uh, it just the the line delivery, the way he delivers it is is pretty perfect. And when he says, "Yeah, I mean, I used to until you killed him." When he's talking about whether yeah. he he knows about um, a distributor or not, um, and I I just thought that 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 worked really well to kind of um, you know tie all these this sequence of events together, these different these different uh, things that they've had to deal with. Um, I really like the way that that all kind of fell into place what about shots what do you got for shots again i had a couple um so i now you I, uh, do understand the... that that's not the way this works right <laughs> that this is favorite line it's so hard favorite to pick. shot yeah yeah <laughs> okay. I understand. I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that i understand that, that yeah what you're saying. so i mean i i loved I, I didn't really get to to talk about all of this i um but some of the transitions that they did in in this one some of the editing some of the cinematography i thought was really great the time lapses transitions things like that the montage i thought was great but uh for a single shot it would have to be walt in the in the car at the end growling and um that's after he walks out of uh, tuco's office very victorious and that growl to me um 
I read it in in two ways, right? So it's something like a primal scream where this repressed emotion finally comes out. But I also thought of it as a baby being born, right? Like a baby being born. This is Heisenberg's Mm. birth. And we are watching his birth pains. And uh, this is him coming out fully formed and ready to kill. (laughs) What about you? I, um, I, you know, I'm just going to go with the first one because it's the first thing we see. And it was the, the opening shot of the episode where we see this dust and you're not really sure what's going on. It's dark. And then you see that it's light coming through the, the bullet holes in the RV. Um, I really like that. And, and the other thing, I guess, as an honorable mention was there's a shot where we see Walt's reflection or, you know, we see him in red and it's, it's just the, one of the first shots of him with the bald head and looking, looking Heisenberg-y. He still has the mustache and not the goatee, but he's, he's definitely going in that direction of, of what we'll know him as later. And, um, I thought that, that, that just that red, the way that it was, it was set up, it was a nice little shot that looked like something that they would do on scene, you know, like they would be there, they'd be filming the exterior or whatever. And they would see like, Oh, this would be a good place where we could, we could use this. And, um, yeah, I really like that one. I love that one too. And actually that was my favorite shot, but I thought you were going to use that as your favorite, your favorite shot. So I, I went with the other one instead um, because you that's also what stood out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's the one that, that stood out to me. So he's um, that's when he's approaching Tuco's office. And yeah. so we're inside, like, I think it's a cafe on the bottom floor in, in real life. And there we see him through the window that is red. There's actually, it's like red, yellow, red panes of glass uh-huh. in that order. Yeah. So we see him walk up outside of Tuco's office in red and obviously that's symbolic for the rage that he's feeling and yeah. um and uh the evil that is about to transpire right so red and in, in, in terms of how like what the colors mean in this show in this universe so we see him cast in this this red light before he he walks in and just uh quickly before we go i just i love the two the, the juxtaposition between Jesse going to Tuco's and Walt going to Tuco's and like the camera work of how they do that and the different angles that they use. So like when, for example, like they both like have to go up and through to get pat down by Nodos and um, what's the other guy's name? Nodos and Gonzo. Thank you. Yeah, Gonzo. The way they pat them down before they're allowed to go in. And uh, just like the way that they they shot the two different scenes. So with with Walt, we get um, a lot of lower angles on him. So he looks bigger in the frame. And like when he first walks in, we see that's like a like a like a a mid shot, a wide shot on Tuco. So he looks smaller behind his desk Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So they did some really fun things like like we we mentioned earlier, like you knew that it was going to be bad for Jesse when he walked in um, a lot by how like they they told us what was going to happen visually in terms of how he gets pat down and the the tone and feeling. And then, you know, when Walt walks up in red, we see him. That's the first shot of him in red. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. it's going to end explosively in some way. Um, yeah. Gonna, you know, one of the things about one of the things about what you're saying there, like one of the things that that I did experience with this episode was I thought there was there was a little bit of a, a noticeable gap in 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 like you know, because I, I mean, it gets. I guess the show gets to such a high level across the board later, like where everything is just like super intense. Everything looks super 
deliberate and 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 well thought out and perfect in a way and in the, and that definitely doesn't exist as much in the first season. I mean, I think the first season is 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 super high quality still. Like it's still on a level that um, you know is is speaks for itself but there there are some 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 points where it maybe it looks like they skimped on some things or or you know they it, it has at times you kind of get that network tv feeling in, in certain parts and I, I think you notice that a little bit in this episode but what i when i noticed the, the second time i watched it was they really work to make up for that in different ways you know like like some of that some of those you know creative shots that you're talking about there and and you can and you can really see that you know like maybe they didn't have the budget because they have to do this huge set piece at the end but they they really tried to to um to make it at work and and some of the some of the they do a lot of interesting stuff with the with the um the way that they cut things together too like you said there's like a lot of those l cuts and j cuts where they the 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 dialogue and the, and the pictures like they work together in a way to to really set the the tone for what's happening that um you know they don't have to do that stuff but it it, mm-hmm. it really makes a, it makes a big difference uh when you see the finished product for sure yeah it does and and one thing to to keep in mind is that they only have 8 days to shoot these episodes with the exception of the pilot where they had twice that amount to shoot so yeah. um I know one thing that they did with like the time lapses, they actually brought in a couple guys from LA to to film those, like where you see like the the sky and the traffic and things like that. And they shot that on like a regular Nikon camera, nothing special that um, mm-hmm. that they were able to do for that. And I know they brought in uh, the director that does the the following episode, episode seven, the the finale of the season, to film one of the scenes with with Hank because they needed. Um, they needed something else there, and Bronwyn had already moved on to do whatever else she was doing. So it's amazing, I think, that they're able to pull together what the, what they are um, while remembering it is still TV, right? To your point, Pete, right? Like they're yeah. they're they're still working and operating in such a way that that uh, they're making a television show, and I think. Um, they they set the standard so high though, like we have this expectation that it will be cinematic or filmic, and in many ways it is. But then then maybe some things like the meth is uh, doesn't really look like fulminated mercury, or asking us to believe that it's it just worked out so that that uh, nobody else dropped it when they took it from from Walt, or that. Um, that Tuco didn't crush it and snort it or make Walt snort it the way he did Jesse, you know, like all these, these sorts of things. Is that kind of like what you're talking about? It, it just felt like they were setting up more for the payoff here, which it was yeah. wor- worth it. And you can understand that in that, in that construct of like, this is TV. And like you were just pointing out that there's, you know, they don't have a long, they're not, they're not, they're not being able to, there's, there's, there's restrictions in place. There's uh, things that they have to deal with that is just part of making a TV show. And they, they navigated it really well. Agreed. All right. Well, I, I think that, um, that about does it. Anything else you wanted to say? Nope. All right. So if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us and hit that bell for notifications and rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. As a new show, we greatly appreciate your support. And those of you who wish to support Growth Decay Transformation can do so at our Patreon, 
We could really use your help um, and we would really appreciate it. You can find us at patreon.com growth decay transformation. Yeah. And if you would like, please connect with us on Twitter at breaking bad GDT, or you can write to us at breaking bad GDT at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you have questions, comments, any sort of feedback, uh, write to us, let us know. You can find our producer Talitha's Instagram at Talitha makes things. And make sure you join us next week when we'll be discussing the season one finale. We're already actually at the end of the first season. And that is a no rough stuff type deal. See you then.